This is People Who Play, a show about the art of playful living. I'm Emma Warrillow, researcher, writer and part-time mermaid. And I'm Ben Martin, content creator and nostalgia junkie. Every episode we discuss family life, playtime and we interview a guest who has found a way to play at life. From creatives to educators to comedians, our aim is to inspire more grown-ups to grow down and unleash their unique play powers. If you'd like to join our play crew and find more inspiration and info on play, follow at playful underscore den on Instagram. And for all your retro feels, find me on Instagram at benflyingretro. I'm on there too, at Emma Warrillow, E-M-M-A, W-O-R-R-O-L-L-O, really. This podcast drops bi-weekly on Mondays, but if that's not enough to get your playful vibes vibing, you can also join my Patreon for £5 a month and you'll get a personal pod from me, which drops alternate Mondays. Plus, you can now watch the video interviews of our guests directly in there too. We really do appreciate all your likes, subscribes, follows and shares. These digital high fives really mean a lot to us and help us to grow the show. Okay, let's get on with the episode. It's playtime. Kirsty, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Um, it is a pleasure to firstly speak to you outside of Instagram because we've known each other for a while now and to have you here to have this conversation about gender and raising boys. I'm so excited to dive in. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited too. Yeah, it is exciting to see you in the, almost in the flesh. But, you know, it's nice to sort of see people outside of uh, the social media contact. Outside of our squares. Yes, and I'm super (laughs) excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great. And uh, obviously, I love the magazine and have been writing for you for a few issues now. It's always like such thought-provoking uh, themes that you explore so I, th- I wondered if we could just dive in from there and just tell us a little bit about Sunshine magazine um, wh- where the sort of idea came from um, yeah sort of why, why you're doing it and how it all started really yeah great I well f- first of all thanks for being contributing Thanks for being a contributor because it I've, it really rounds it out as well I think to talk about all ages but basically um, Sunshine Magazine it's quarterly magazine in print and digital formats um, it's been going now for about five years in lots of different iterations um, and it came about because basically when I had my first child um, who happened to be a daughter she, I had sort of a strong feeling about how I was going to raise her and how I was going to make sure that she wasn't bound by all the stereotypes that hold women back. And obviously that's something that I'd had experience of myself. And I felt really quite confident about things I did and didn't want to do and things I wanted to unpick for her. Um, And then relatively quickly afterwards, I had another child and that was my son. And as he was growing up, I started to think, ah, I don't have a roadmap for this. And I can start to see how gender stereotyping is affecting him and not at all in the same way that it was affecting my daughter. Um, And the things that I needed to unpick for him were different and complicated and things that I personally hadn't had a lot of thoughts about before. And I think that was quite eye-opening for me to think, oh, I see... He's quite a sensitive little soul and he also 
first child, second child, he, he totally looked up to his sister. You know, she was just the best thing since life's bread in his eyes. And he really wanted to be just like her. Um, and that went through to wanting to wear the same clothes as her. So she would get herself into some sort of sparkly tutu get up and he'd be like, yes, me too. And um, I found that very challenging, you know, and then I had to think, why am I finding that challenging? Like, what is my problem yeah. with my son wearing a sparkly tutu? Mm. Like, where I think that I have a good handle on this breaking down gender stereotypes. But when it comes to my son, why is that challenging me in a way that it wouldn't challenge me for my daughter to choose whatever she wanted to wear? Um, and so that was sort of the seed was planted for me. Like, what, why do I think that? What, what's holding me back from letting my son dress like a girl? Um, and basically, it's just misogyny, <laughs> you know, because it's a step up for it's a step up for girls to want to dress more like a boy. And it's a step down for boys to want to dress more like a girl. And I thought, oh, right. I need some support on this. Where can I find some resources? And I looked and there aren't any, basically. There are really few resources talking about how we might break down some of these constrictions on how our sons can be um, in the world. You know, what, how, how we could let them be the fullness of their beings. Um, there's very little about that for parents. And I thought, well, I'm a writer and I've been making content and... I'm just going to start one. Um, so I did. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I really, really resonate with a lot of what you've just said there. Um, I also have boys and girls, two boys and a girl. And I, I felt the, the, the same with my girl. I feel like, and maybe partly it's because, like you said, of your personal experience and being a woman as well. I feel like I know what I'm doing with her. I know what to watch out for. I know um, how I can help her. I also felt a sense of, although we are still quite far away from equality, I did feel part of a generation of parents that were really quite, um, really sort of shifting some stuff with regards to equality and to, to be a parent to a girl, uh, you know, alongside some of the momentum that the women's movement had and Me Too and there was this like big burst of sort of female singers and pop stars and it just felt very much like it was it sort of felt, felt very electric the sort of um the sort of experience of girlhood and becoming a woman and yeah I did feel feel like I really know what I'm doing here and I know how to almost like coach her along this journey and I didn't feel the same with my boy now boys I felt more uh like I had more questions and I felt like um I didn't know how to answer when he would say things like, you know, why has Beyonce got this song saying, you know, who runs, who runs the world girls, you know, which me and my daughter would sing. And he'd say, why isn't there a song saying who runs the world boys? And obviously I'm just like, Oh, that would be awful. <laughs> um, and trying to sort of explain that. Um, and, and, you know, obviously there's a lot that, that goes with that as well. We sort of start talking about, everything to do with like privilege and all of that sort of stuff is sort of layered within that. Um, but from his point of view, all he was seeing, which was so interesting to me, he, he, all he was seeing was like a celebration of uh, femaleness mm. and girlhood. Um, and it was everywhere around him. And he was kind of like, what's, 
like what's like why can't you celebrate being a being a boy um and it was just like it was such a um it was a real mind-bending experience yeah. for me because obviously I wanted to explain these things and that it's correct that we must support the you know the the, the group that is that has been suppressed and that is unequal etc cetera, etc cetera. but at the same time I wanted to know how do I how do I support him to just be whoever he wants to be? And that I similarly found that there were less op options. There was like, there was less versions of how to be a boy. And it felt like they were almost actually like really quite close. Whereas for girls, it felt really open in terms yeah. of what I could encourage her to do. I think you're right. I think that's, I mean, that's part of, I think also as they grow, that's what you see that the box for boys is quite narrow. Um, whereas the box for girls, like you say, there's been a whole step change in how we try to parent our daughters, I think, to say, no, you can break out of that. You can be interested in this. You can push yourself to be, you know, you can get involved in football or you can become a scientist or you can be great at maths, you know, to break those stereotypical boundaries. Um, but we haven't been able to do the same for boys. Yeah. Um, and I agree that thing, you know, my one of my nephews asked if, he said, well, my friends have got girl power T-shirts. Can I have one that says boy power? And it's like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. Um, but that's so complicated for them so to understand. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, it, it, it opens a lot of questions up for me, I think, where what are we teaching our boys about what it means to be a boy in this world? And what are we teaching our girls about what it means to be a girl as well? And then vice versa. I think that's the missing piece of the puzzle is that often we thought about gender equality as being a thing for, for us to talk about with our daughters, for, for women to talk about in women-only spaces. And it, it is. But it, if we don't talk to our sons and if we aren't talking to boys about this, then we're only getting 50% of the change. And I think that's why we've seen this slowing in the rate that things change at, you know, I think the, yeah. sl the slowness of that change is, is to do with the fact that we've not been talking to men and boys enough. Yeah. It's also in a way, it's almost like we're asking girls to do all the work. Yeah. That's how I started thinking about it as well. I was like, it is really cool that, you know, you know, we've got all this kind of empowerment going on, but my gut feeling as a woman is like the girl, we've always been fine. Like girls, <laughs> we know what we're doing like we get it like we understand the assignment we want to do the things we've always you know if you yeah. look back at any like major crisis or war or whatever there's always women at the heart of it just like steering the ship making the cogs go around like we know what we're doing but the problem often when we get into structures um you know sort of you know trying to do things that there's all these barriers in our way um and those barriers often come in the shape and form of men um and of you know things that are unequal so I kind of yeah I was kind of in the you know going through all this and thinking about how I was talking to the kids about it I was like we're asking women to do the work like what we actually should do is turn the tables on the boys and like go all in on how are we going to change the boys like we're yeah. doing all the work on the girls we shouldn't keep asking the girls for more be stronger smash through the ceilings become yeah. a scientist like all that is great if they want to do that but 
part of me was wondering like are we actually putting more expectations on girls like we hold up these role models that they're looking at like look at Michelle Obama like look at all these amazing women and like it's inspiring and it's great but it's also okay to just be yourself and just kind of move through life um you know without smashing a ceiling like that's not like that's not the new that shouldn't be the new definer of success for being a woman if that's not what you want to go after um actually we should be doubling down on on boys and as you say um making it more um culturally not even acceptable but encouraging to have these nuances in how they are allowed to be in the world because that in itself has a knock-on effect to to women no, I agree. I mean, I think there's a there's a problem with us in society having decided that some traits, which some people call alpha traits, you know, that they are the ones that we should all be striving for. And we prioritize that. And, it, you know, they often are things that I think are quite antisocial, being ruthless, um, you know, being selfish and pushing your way to the top, you know, this idea of hustling and the idea is that we all have to aspire to those things. And those things have been seen as traditionally male traits. Uh, and now I think there's a lot of pressure, you're right, for women and girls to take on those traits uh, and also and sort of fit themselves into that mold. But the fact is that, I mean, 95% of us don't want to constantly be hustling. And it's a, you know, that's a capitalist um, drive that we all have to be ruthlessly productive at all times uh, and generating 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 all the time in fact and it that damages both boys and girls and if we haven't if we don't flip the tables really and say well actually it's just as important to be community focused and thoughtful and kind and nurturing and sensitive to the world around you or to care about the planet you know things that have been often denigrated and sometimes those traits are seen as female um, and that's added to them being seen as not aspirational Um, and so it sort of needs a mindset change I think to say whatever your gender you don't always have to be hustle, 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 you know, you don't always have to be trying to embody these traits. Um, But I think with the options for girls, I think you're right, are more varied now. And the options for boys to take a a less traveled route are much, it's much harder for them, I think. Um, Yeah, I think so. And we see that in the data, don't we, around... um mental health and also been reading quite a lot recently about sort of boys in school and how they're really sort of falling behind girls um and there's yeah there's all sorts of things around around and around male mental health and teenagers And, and I know I do I do sort of wonder if a lot of it comes from having less invitation to express themselves and to be um because it it does feel like there are more sort of social consequences to boys being quote unquote different 
Um, I'm not saying that it's easy for girls also to, you know, go against the mainstream and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And it's been an age old challenge, I think, for for that sort of coming of age. But it does feel more um, riskier, I think, for boys to to buck trends and to sort of not go, not follow peer pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think um, and I think that shows up in what we're seeing. Um, Yes. It's I don't complicated. Know if you've come across any research in that? Yeah, I have. It's, it's it's very complicated. So I have a sort of long running partnership with Childline, who often put an article in the magazine to talk talk specifically about this, the way that actually there is a disparity in boys asking for help specifically that they when they're asking for help. I think is the thing. So boys and girls are, are likely to struggle with their mental health. You know, we all are. That is that's part of being human um but girls are six times more likely to ring childline so they they have six times more calls from girls if they if they are really struggling they're they're likely to reach out to ask for help in a way that the boys aren't um but actually double the amount of boys um in that teen group are likely to actually die by suicide um so they simultaneously less likely to reach out for help and more likely to actually take the final route on that and I I don't want to downplay the difficulties that women and girls face in today's society and I definitely want to be clear that you know misogyny and patriarchal thinking affects women um disproportionately you know what one in four women will experience domestic violence yes. um, almost always at the hands of a man. You know, that those stats can't be argued with, but we have to also think about what are the societal situations that are bringing this inequality about yeah. and how do we get to a place where we can unpick that? And these tiny things, you know, when we talk about how we treat our children at the very earliest ages, these really small things can breed this sense of inequality, which allows boys to feel like they can't ask for help if they don't feel a certain way, that they can't have emotional conversations with their peers, you know, that they can only um, interact with each other by the medium of banter, um, that they can never sort of delve into their feelings and share that, um, which creates these powder kegs really that could go off at any time and it can end in harming others harming themselves you know that the potential within that for harm is is huge and we don't talk about it and I don't Mm. want to be the sort of what about you know the people who are like oh well what about um international men's day every time international women's day because it comes up because it, it that's not the point you know the the point is that the system that we have that our society runs on it does oppress women and it oppresses men in a different way it, it oppresses a lot of men in a different way um and so this the whole system needs rethinking uh in order that we can support our sons n- not only to support the women and girls in their lives but also to take responsibility and support themselves you know, and to feel like they can reach out for help and that they are able to express all parts of their being um, in a way that perhaps traditionally they've not been allowed to. And I think that's, 
I think that's where we are just starting to talk about that. Like I think I did a piece of research for one of the magazine issues a long time ago where I spoke to an academic who had been researching feminism and she'd been re researching all sorts of different movements of feminism from the 60s to today. Um, and she had a specific focus on looking at men's movements um, and how men had been involved in women's lib in the sort of 60s and 70s um, and where that had gone after that. So she, she told me about these groups called men's anti-sexist groups. So they didn't call themselves feminists, they called themselves anti-sexist and they were looking at how could they be good allies to women? How could they support women in their struggle, in their fight for rights? Um, and they, there are so many amazing initiatives and we'd never heard of any of them. Um, so they did, there was a national network in the UK called Creches Against Sexism, where men would come to women's shelters, women's aid groups, anywhere where women were having um, meetings about organizing around women's lib. They, they went to Greenham Common, they went to the 1971 Women's Confer uh, Conference and they ran the creches. And I, I mean, when I found out about this, my mind was blown, partly because I've never been to a conference of any sort where there was a creche, let alone one that was run by male volunteers. And they basically thought, how do we take the load from women? It's not by getting involved in their conversations, actually. It's not, it, they did start out in having mixed gender conversations about how they would create gender equality. But actually, in the 70s, that didn't work because men were not used to listening to women. And so those groups did not have a good rapport. <laughs> um, and so they decided, okay, women should have spaces where they can talk about what they need and we will support that by taking on some of this labour and the labour that they were taking on was childcare. And I thought, well, this is fascinating. How come this hasn't, where is this gone? Yeah, so it's so ahead of their time. Yes. And she said, oh, well, lots of them had never, ever done anything like this before. They hadn't, they didn't even have children, some of them. And even if they did, it wasn't expected of them that they would do any of the general childcare um, so they would turn up and be like, oh, yeah, so now you just got to look after 50 children. And it would, you know, they just have to do it. Um, and I said, well, why don't we hear about this? She said, she said to me, there's, it's not every generation doesn't have this rapid pace of change. So they had this rapid pace of change. But what it did was seeped out into the general world. Like, it was almost like this was a sort of fermentation of, um, men thinking about what it might mean to be a man and support women um, in their struggle for women's rights. And so they were, sometimes it was giving money to women's, women's centres or women's refuge. Sometimes it was coming and doing labour like this. But what, the way that the bubbles of that fermentation rose to the surface um, is in things like the expectation that men would change nappies, the expectation that men would be present at the birth of their children, the expectation that men would take more of a role in the domestic life um, of the home, you know, and that you would be equal partners outside of the home and within the home if, if you're in a heterosexual relationship. And I think when she put it to me like that, 
that these things seemed like massively radical acts then. And then it felt like silence, like it was a dead end and that we'd reached this point where nothing had changed. But actually, then we look at our own partners now and you think, oh, yeah, things have changed. Things have changed between our generation and our parents, probably, and definitely between our generation and our grandparents. Um, and a lot of what those men in those groups then went on to talk about is, well, there is a lot of work that men need to do about this. And men need to work on not expecting their wives and girlfriends and female friends to always pick up the emotional labor. So men often are thinking, who can I talk to? I feel down, who can I talk to? Men often think I'll talk to my partner. But they set up these groups, so often called co-counseling groups, where men would talk to other men, you know, about how they were feeling. Like these are hugely radical. This was in the 70s and 80s, and then it feels like maybe the 90s, we didn't see that, but it feels like it was sort of a, an earthquake that was happening underground yeah. in the times wow. when it comes up to the surface. Mm. Um, and I feel like we're now in a time when it's coming up to the surface. Yeah. I think that's such an interesting example because it shows what can come out of experimenting and just letting people go and do something um, that's new to them. I sometimes get involved, um, I used to speak quite a lot about uh, co-parenting and this sort of mental load conversation between men and women. And I'd find it really interesting that I would get quite a lot of um, women who would say they want help with these certain things, but also they don't like the way that the men do it. <laughs> Or they they sort of will get it wrong or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And it's like there has to be there has to be opportunities like what you've just illustrated there where we can just almost like snap out of that. Like yeah. just we have to be able to just try doing these different things, because when we do things bubble out of it like you say that suddenly now women aren't the only ones that change the nappies like those little things sort of come come from it and I think that is something that just on a like day-to-day -day, you know they say activism starts at the kitchen table and parenting is the highest form of activism that's something if you're in a um a sort of a, a co-parenting relationship that's something that you can do really easily yeah. in your life is to just experiment with trying to do different things different roles um and to look for those opportunities to do that like even little things like because obviously I talk about play a lot and I noticed that it was always my husband that took the kids to this water slide park that we have and I would stay with the little one and then just after that happened a couple of times I was like why am I like the one that's always sitting out of the water slide fun when actually yeah. you can be at home with the baby now so then we were just like oh yeah like so sometimes you sort of almost like zombie shuffle into these ways of being um, these kind of like gender tropes and doing like little mini versions in your own household of what you're talking about there, where you experiment with just doing things opposite or different. I think that's so important and something that people can actually just do in their, their own families. I 100% agree. Cause I, I, I definitely think that thing where you're like, Oh, well I'll stay at home and do all the drudging, but why, why am I, why am I the one to stay at home and do the drudging? And partly it's like, Oh, maybe, maybe I don't want to see the children today. Maybe I've had enough of the children, actually, and I want to do some other things. But then if the other things are 
going to the supermarket and mopping the floor, I don't actually want to do those. <laughs> Maybe I would rather go out and have some fun. I totally agree. I mean, I think um, what what you do as well is often give people those prompts to say, you don't have to do that. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes when you, you're asking those questions, when you say like, what do you like doing? Yeah. Um, and I realised that I, I absolutely hate playing imaginative play. Like I, I know, I don't remember doing that as a child. I don't mm. remember having little people and playing little dolls with them. Um, but my husband loves it. He absolutely loves it. And he and my son can sit in the, in their bedroom, just playing all the little people talking to each other. And I, I can't do that. And I, that is just something I feel like, well, I'm delighted that you two are having a really lovely time playing in the doll's house, having all your, you know, all the stormtroopers from Star Wars get out into the doll's house and like, they just have a really super time. And that's great. That's their thing. And then I realized that actually my thing that I like doing, we just never do. Yeah. We just never do it. Like mm. the things I like doing are playing board games. Mm -hmm. And I really love playing like rounders or mm -hmm. like I, I love being doing outdoor games like I love them and we never do it I never ever do that I I sort of take them to the park on sufferance and I push them on a swing and I think oh, I hate the swings and I think what I, I think I'd seen something that you said and I thought why don't I just do the thing that I like doing <laughs> yeah, and I gosh, yeah, that's that's fascinating, get, isn't it? get ourselves into these modes i think you're right it's so easy to get into a, a rigid mode without thinking about why you know like also that thing about oh I, my husband's i'm going away for the weekend and i've left my husband a list or oh, you don't need to leave him a list just let yeah. him do it his way yeah that, what do we i am i am very a... big on that you you've got you have to be willing to let go of some control yeah. otherwise you're never going to shift that mental load it just doesn't, you have to, you can't just, you have to let go. <laughs> yeah. so we're very big on that in our um, relationship. Like if, if one person is sort of leading and they're doing that for the day, there has to be a willingness to be able to do things our own way. Obviously yeah. we hope that we share similar values and that we don't, you know, do things that are going to sort of really really offend one another um <laughs> which probably can happen sometimes in some relationships but I do think you've got to let that go otherwise it's like you're you're almost like you're bordering on sort of being a martyr in a way mm. because you're, you're 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 sort of wanting to to let go of that and have more help with this and and and, and delegate here or whatever but if you're going to do that you've also got to submit some of the control and let them let them find their own way yeah. And I think, like you say, when you have those moments where you let them, you let someone else do something that you do normally and you see how they do it and you think, oh, actually, maybe that is better. Yeah. Maybe that has brought some, like a, a that's brought a sparkle to something that is normally quite dull because you've done it in a different way. You know, there's quite a lot of research around how dads and mums play with their children which I find really fascinating. Like there's so many tiny little inputs that we don't think about, but dads are more likely 
to play rough, what you might call rough, that sort of wrestling, yes. throwing, throwing kids up in the air, tumbling, those sorts of games. My, my children really love a game where you, they bounce on the bed and then you push them over and they, they bounce up and down on the bed. Like this is their favorite game. And it gives me the heebie-jeebies, like I, it really terrifies me, but they absolutely love it. And there's loads of research that that sort of play is really bonding. It's really good for children's development, their balance, you know, that this sort of play that you see a lot of other animals doing as well, that's like puppies, like they're rolling around with each other. That's really beneficial for children. Um, and the difficulty is that boys are more likely to partake in that sort of play and dads are more likely to partake in that sort of play and girls and women are less likely to do it. And it's really hard to unpick from that um, how much of that is society's expectations and how much of that is a natural disinclination to yeah. doing that. Yeah. Um, but there's quite a lot, you know, I see loads of people on Instagram complaining that their pair that they feel like their parenting is upended when you're supposed to be having a calm bedtime routine and then fun daddy comes home and like everybody's bouncing off the walls and then bedtime's out of routine but there's also some studies that show that that sort of stuff before bed can be really brilliant it can yeah. uh, form really good close bonds of connection and can actually make children feel really safe and yep. can help them to process loads of stuff that maybe would stop them from getting to sleep. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard to get out of our entrenched ways of thinking about that mm. and, and to feel mm. irritated. Like, I've got my plan. We're going to do quiet bedtime. And now everybody's, you know, bouncing on the bed and yelling at the top of their voices. But actually, what price, is, what price for the joy that you had then? You know, totally that. yeah it's yeah it's sort of yeah this is really fascinating and this idea of like fun dad and I'm slightly conscious um that obviously a lot of families don't have a dad in the home and I think it's quite important to say that that type of rough and tumble play that you're talking about and the benefits that come with it doesn't have to be a man that does it so no. if you're a mum listening to this and you're a little bit anxious about that type of play give it a go it's really fun um it's really beneficial and really teaches kids about boundaries um but I think what you're that what you say there about quote-unquote fun dad um I think I think this is a really this is like a really interesting one for me because there's a whole sort of slight sort of chicken and egg thing I think that goes on with fun dad in that is is it are do women sometimes almost um allow I don't know if allow or or sort of assume that that is their role in that they're almost just like I to, to be silly, to have fun, um, requires an ability to let go. It requires an ability to not be self-conscious. It requires a willingness to drop the control, yeah. <laughs> which we've just been talking about. And I sometimes wonder, because I know that this can be quite frustrating and it can also sometimes be the other way around. I had an email from someone to answer a question on the podcast about, um, helping her with her husband who's very like serious like, in a total productivity mindset and finds it really hard to to find fun um, 
And it's almost like you assign that. It's like yeah. someone's job to be the um, the participator in fun and the other person becomes the facilitator of fun. So you essentially organize fun for everyone else to take part in it. And there is a real, um, to shift that, it has to be so intentional. It has to be like, you have to catch yourself. Like, am I constantly just setting up the circumstances all the time for everyone to have fun apart from me and I I, like you're on the sidelines of fun so I always like to encourage people particularly women to just get off the sidelines and get into it yourself because I think we were talking earlier about we almost sort of zombie shuffle sometimes into these gender stereotypes even if we don't agree with them and even if perhaps we don't consider ourselves as someone who would conform to them it's like we don't even sometimes know and it just, and suddenly it's just happening and I yeah. think fun is a really interesting one to look at how that takes place within your immediate family and your wider family and if you're on the sidelines of it how do you get off the sidelines yes that's it? so true I mean I've been um I've been to so I've started looking at secondary schools this week and um I had this revelatory moment where I found out that Secondary schools do have playgrounds. They have places where <laughs> children can go and play uh, at lunchtime or break time. And I, this blew my mind because the school that I went to, I have zero recollection of there being any play space. Um, and then I spoke to a few friends about it and they were like, oh yeah, we had play space. There was space for play. Um, and they all went to mixed schools and I went to a single sex school. So mm. I, I went to a girls school and I don't remember there being any encouragement to play. Mm. I don't remember there being a dedicated space where we could play physically, which is something that I would have yeah. liked done. Yeah. Uh, we had organized, there were clubs, you know, you could play hockey and netball and, you know, tennis and there you, it wasn't that there wasn't the opportunity to be active. It was that there wasn't the opportunity to have fun. And so the way we had fun was that we would play game, we would play cards at break time and we'd read each other the horoscopes and like we did have fun, but it wasn't physical playing fun. That's like all that fun. risk-taking yes. play, almost and like the rough and tumble that we've been talking so about. So we yeah. didn't have that option, which is something that I definitely had right up until age 11. Um, and then in the conversations I was having with other people, people who went to mixed schools were like, oh yeah, there was a place where you could play, but it was pretty much dominated by boys playing football and girls on the sidelines trying not to get kicked in the face with a football. And I thought, oh, that's also fascinating in terms of what you've just said about how women sometimes perhaps might find themselves in a family situation on the sidelines of fun. Yeah. That has been something that perhaps we've all experienced throughout our lives to see that the space for fun is taken up by somebody else. And I think it, mm. that, com- that can come out in lots of other ways in your relationship, you know, perhaps that uh, a male partner might be more inclined to find their space to do the activity that they love doing. So they might be more inclined to be like, well, before we had children, I always went for a run and now we have children. I'm also always gonna go for a run. Yeah. It's much easier for, I think, women to forget that the things that make you, you know, that give you sparks and give you joy, you're still allowed to do them. Yeah. You know, you're still allowed to have those joyful times. Um, all the times that are good for you to process your 
information. You know, I, I process so much information when I am outside mm. in a flow state. So for me, that's normally cycling. And I used to do a 45 minute cycle twice a day. And that kept me ticking over mentally. Yeah. It wasn't for the, wasn't for the fitness or yeah. the exercise or anything. It meant that I processed everything I needed to think about for work and all the other stuff that was going on for me. That, and as soon as I had children and I stopped commuting, that went. Yeah. And it's taken nearly 10 years for me to realize, oh, I really need that in my life. I need to have a space where I am outside being physical to process what's going on in my head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, everyone does. Everyone does. It's like um, the sort of stereotype of um, a sort of a woman that's got like a golfing husband, like the husband, you know, that you sort of meet these women and they're like, oh, husband's going off for like to play, you know, golf. And it's it's an activity that obviously takes about sort of 17 hours to complete. <laughs> and I just think, what well, you know, why why is that so non-negotiable for men whereas like women will constantly negotiate their fun um that's my sort of the life stage that I'm in right now it's like I have my fun is non-negotiable um it's not a treat it's not a reward um it is just like you know the same way that I need to drink enough water (laughs) but that's such a radical thing to say I think in terms of how we think about mothering a lot of the uh, I think it's really interesting that you're you I love the way that you talk about mothering as a playful fun positive act because I think it's easy to soak up this feeling that mothering perhaps takes away from you yeah Um, but we don't have to let it be like that we don't have to fall into those traps Completely. Um, And make no mistakes, I do not um, shy away from how difficult it is. But I think the two things can be simultaneous. I think you can do something that's really hard and that will absolutely knacker you and that will just flip you over in a way you've never been flipped over before. But at the same time, you can continue to figure out how you make it fun. I think that's what's really unique about humans. Like I think our ability to make really boring things fun and interesting. And I think what happens when you become a parent and you're in a family and you're in a family routine is you have a lot more, um, mundanity like Mm. you really do and I think I realized that quite early on um and I was like okay I'm just gonna see this as a creative challenge like how do I continue to just make what's in front of me more fun and more interesting and be enthusiastic about it I find it quite uh, I don't know if triggering is the right word but I I can't watch a lot of content that's really um uh, like I know a lot and, and I know it's important <laughs> and this isn't me saying that this content shouldn't be out there but there's a lot of content out there about um, sort of like negative attitudes to being a mum and how much people dislike it and I think it's absolutely brilliant and I think it's great that it's there that we have a space where people can be real um, it would be awful if we still lived in the polished world of advertising where we see a mum with a baby on a hip in a white kitchen etc I'm not taking away from that but I personally cannot consume a lot of that content because it changes um, 
it changes how I feel about the mundane things in front of me. And it encourages me to lean into the kind of, um, I suppose, the sort of moaning (laughs) the moaning mindset um and again I don't want to I'm not I don't I want to be clear that I'm not talking about you know the sort of very difficult circumstances that sort of mothers and families face I'm just talking more about like the general boring life admin routine challenges of kids tantrums all that sort of stuff um I just think there is there is a mindset out there and play is the way that I have found it where you can just cope with the difficult things, but also figure out how to enjoy, <laughs> how to enjoy it and find your way um, yeah. as, as you go. Um, and yeah, I try and be a sort of positive voice in there, not toxic positivity, but just <laughs> you can make this stuff fun. <laughs> oh, that's so true. There's so much. I mean, I'm really bad with routines and the doing the same thing day after day. Yeah, and that too. is what children need. Children yeah, need absolutely. to do the same thing day after day. And that kills me. Yeah. Like I absolutely hate it. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you Like we have to be able to talk about that stuff and be like, this is breaking me. Like, yeah, I'm having 100%. To, yeah. You know, I totally agree with you. But I also think there are plenty of things that even within those repetitive tasks um, are fun. And I have played more in the last 10 years of my life than I did in the preceding 20. Like, I, I have had loads of fun because I've been forced to do things that I wouldn't have done normally. Like, I've had to go to play groups and find myself, you know, I've had to go down loads of slides. I, never, <laughs> I wouldn't go down a slide by myself. I would now. But I, I wouldn't have thought of going down a slide by myself. But actually when a small child has got themselves to the top of a massive slide and they can't get down and the only way they're going to get down is if you get to the top and go down them with them. It's great. Totally. Totally. You know, I've, I've had loads and loads of fun and I think we have to show the rounded nature of that. We have to be able to talk about without feeling guilty about it as well because you're allowed to have fun. Like, we are allowed to have fun. We're allowed to find pleasure in those um in those moments, as well as being allowed to feel ground down by. Yes, that's the the big thing. They can be simultaneous. And I think this is a really good extension to this conversation because bringing the gender aspect into it, I think is really important because I think men and women do, for whatever reason, it's we probably don't have long enough to unpick it all, but I think we do have different relationships to fun and I think we do have um perhaps an unequal level of barriers to to getting into the mode of fun or yeah. even like justifying having it so I think this is a really interesting yeah thing for me to sort of be talking to you about and through the work that you do around the role modeling of that to kids and in this yeah. conversation around boys like being able to role model them whether you're a dad or a mum I think this is this is irrelevant here but to role model to them that um pursuing the things that spark your joy and following the things that you are curious about that it comes from inside not from outside um whoever you and, and sort of role modeling that to them because like we were saying like I do feel like we're doing that for girls I feel like we're saying hey girls what are you interested in because 
we want to encourage them that if they come back and they say something that's maybe not stereotypically, you know, a girl interest, we're like, let's pounce on that. Let's go with that. And we have to do that for boys too. Um, mm-hmm. I get so excited when I think about a future where we have so much more diversity in job roles. I just think it would be so, so much more of an interesting world. And like, we would have much better creative solutions if there was a, a much greater diversity. You know, you think about think about a nursery even, if there was like a real mix of, you know, males and females in there um, yeah. and different, you know, d- it would be totally different um yeah. and I think it'd be fantastic there's I'd love to see more men in early years care um it's quite yeah. interesting I think that gap specifically in early years and, and in terms of how we sort of lay these foundations for both girls and boys in a way that we wouldn't for any other characteristic like when often when I'm talking about this I and it, I if I'm doing a talk, sometimes I think I ask people to do a sort of thought experiment, which is we're always separating children by their gender. So we, we will say in the park or whatever, if you're there with a group of kids and they happen to all be girls, you'll be like, come on, girls, let's go. Like you, you name them all. You're always saying, come on, girls, come mm. on, boys. And at school, they'll say boys and girls, you know, those it's this division is mm. put put on them all the time and we wouldn't do that by any other characteristic like we wouldn't say come on everybody with blonde hair like no the, yeah. the second that you start thinking about that you're like oh no that's not okay yeah and you don't really do that in adulthood either I hope like you don't go if you're in a company you wouldn't go right come on all the men <laughs> come on all the women or I hope that we're at a point where if someone did they'd be like uh what are you doing yeah <laughs> But we but we're constantly reinforcing that that mm. differentiation for them. So even at their tiniest tiniest stages, we are we are giving them this information that that's really important. That this yes. distinction between them is yes. really really important, and therefore they take you know they're sponges. They're taking in that information and thinking well one of the most important parts of my identity is whether I'm a girl or a boy. Mm. And um, then we sort of funnel them through their experiences and actually through their early experiences of play, we funnel them into being interested in certain things. And then that comes out in where they end up, you know, the diversity of careers that they can have. So for example, there's a thing that people say, oh, all boys are more interested in wheels. Yeah. Uh, and they, there are studies actually that show from the age of about 18 months that boys show more interest in vehicles and engineering toys and toys that have a sort of, you know, like train sets and stuff like that. So toys that have a sort of putting things together and that girls are more interested in dolls and soft toys so that is recognized and studies have been done on that but what the studies haven't done is adequately unpick what's happening to children in that first 18 months of life so how much of that time have they spent um being given a toy with wheels 
how much of that time have they been getting reinforcement and not only a verbal reinforcement. So if a, if a child reaches out for a toy and we say, oh, well done, because, you know, we're really excited to see our babies um, reaching these milestones where they reach out and they grab things or they spend a long time looking at something or they you know, but also that all the indirect reinforcement that we give them where perhaps we redirect them in ways that we don't even know we're doing completely ingrained within our own ideas about what girls and boys might be interested in. And it's definitely something that I experienced myself, which is that I definitely noticed that my daughter was very interested in dolls. And I definitely noticed that my son had an interest in wheels. Like I, I noticed those things, but the fact is once they got a bit older, my son told me in no uncertain terms that he really likes babies. He really loves soft toys and he loves playing with dolls. He absolutely loves it. And actually my daughter, eh, not so much, <laughs> you know, that, but what I noticed about them in these tiny years was what confirmed my own biases. Even as somebody who thought they were unpicking that stuff, I gave more weight to the observation of my daughter playing with a doll than I did all the times that she picked up a truck or a piece of Lego or the train tracks. I, I assigned more information to one than I did to the others. And when we talk about the inherent differences between boys and girls, I am unclear as to how much of that is coming from us, just like seeping out of us, seeping out of yeah. um, society, every way, like every, in the books they read, in the TV they see, in the way we speak to them, in the clothes they wear, it, absolutely everything gives them all of these little cues. And I could not say how much of it's nature and nurture and how much of it is having, having to have the strength of character in a way to fight against this. So talking about boys, it takes a lot, I think, for a boy to say, you know, what's your favorite animal? It takes a lot for a boy to be able to say a rabbit, <laughs> you know, because the potential for them to be laughed at or ridiculed if they say rabbit and not wolf yeah. is huge. Um, mm. And I think you're right. We, we've been drumming that into them since they were teeny tiny, you know, saying that's yeah, not I think I think that thing about toys is... <sighs> It's it's such a big one. And I know those studies and you're absolutely right. It's it's impossible to say, is that nature or nurture um, because of those tiny little inputs that these little sponges have been taking up to that moment um, before this test. I, I really believe it is important for parents to, parents who are really, engaged in this conversation and are passionate about making a change with um, how they're raising boys or girls um, for, for a more equal world. When it comes to toys, I think you almost have to like double down on the opposite of what is normal. Like lots of people message me and be like, you know, my kids, my boy's five, six, and he's just, he, I cannot get him to interact with a doll. It's almost sadly, too late um you have to almost when they're really little 
and this is why I just think secondhand toy shopping is so accessible and easy <laughs> these days to to just not not always see toys as gifts this is another issue that um toys are so, so synonymous with like treats and gifting and occasions and you need to almost think about them more as like um how for how they can play through the world around them and how they can experience a variety of different play patterns and they're younger just honestly secondhand market boot sales charity shops brilliant for trying toys out in inexpensive sustainable ways and just having those things not having everything as like these big like gifts that have this like high sort of suspense value on them and mm. just having them more as like stimulus in the home and what is amazing because obviously we've got scout now who's two and he's just around he just gets all of their their old toys so he's got a complete mix of of stuff a lot from his sister um and a lot from his brother and it's such a better play experience for him versus when I think about, you know, when we were new parents and we had our first son and we were doing, I think what you're talking about, you're noticing the things that they're interested in, but are you noticing them or are you noticing more of the ones that you are expecting? Mm -hmm. Like you're like, Oh, he's really into diggers. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're sort of expecting that. Um, so, and, it, and it's so difficult to know, um, how you're processing it like god you have to be so self-aware and who's got the time or the energy to think about this so I think just like just 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 yeah just that would be my advice on like sort of thinking about toys is to just try and get away from this like big gift association with toys the whole time and just think of like yeah resources in your home to experience yeah. a variety of play patterns yeah that's amazing I think because also it's very easy like you say you notice something Oh, they're into diggers and then suddenly they get seven thousand diggers and they can't be interested in anything else you know so that the opportunity giving them the opportunity and showing them that you care because i think that's the other thing like giving it's all very well to give your child the option to play you know girl or boy to to play sort of across the stereotype but you have to show them that you care about it as well that you value them playing with it and I think that's quite complicated you know if you're you, you sort of maybe have to show them how to play with it yeah no you're right and 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 it, this can be I think frustrating when people are not supported by that around them and I know mm. grandparents you know there's a lot of generational differences in gender and that can be really challenging I think when you have this sort of value and thing that you're doing and then someone else is just constantly buying like the pink the blue and it's just like that can be really really challenging as well like how other people are, are sort of not helping yeah. what you're trying um what you're trying to do there uh, but yeah that you, you're as a parent you're so influential and I think sometimes we can forget that but we have so much power like we are their blueprint for how to to be in the world and I think you know I we really need to remember that and we really need to reclaim that power there can be this sense that we've lost power like the tech companies have it the brands have it capitalism has it um you know we sort of like it's like oh, I've got no I've got no power but you have like you are so 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 influential like 
more than any influencer like you really do have that so I think you know we should feel yeah we should feel really um really aware of that and to use that power for good if this if you care about this stuff like you really do make an impact and as you say how you respond to things where you place value what your signals you're giving out as encouragement and they notice them even if you think they don't they really do it's so true and I there's um there's so many things where you think oh that they you know quite often when a kid comes home from school and they say oh so and so said you girls can't have trousers at school or boys can't have long hair and I my heart sank the first time my kid did that and I thought oh no they haven't listened to anything I've said but actually they're testing it they're asking yeah Yeah. so and so said this thing and that didn't match up with the thoughts that I was having or the things that I've heard what where where do we fall on this you know and they just want to talk about it they just want to say oh yeah some people some people do think that um that's not what I think you know that's an easy way out of that for me to say yeah some people do think that because you're going to come across that sort of thing um that's not what I think and I think anybody can have the hair they like (laughs) and there's no rules about that and that though you lay those foundations and that is so powerful that the foundations that you lay go with them throughout their lives there's um there's this book called it's quite a depressing book, I should say. It's called it's called Men Who Hate Women, and it's by Laura Bates, who did uh, yeah. did the Everyday Sexism yeah. Project, and she did a sort of deep dive into the horrible underworld yeah. of you so know, scary. yeah, it's really scary of incel culture yeah. and this idea that um, like deep, deep misogyny, like it's horrible. Yeah. But one of the things that she found is really protective for boys is that their parents have talked to them about equality. So just the very fact that you have those conversations with your kids mm. and specifically with your sons about how men and women are equal, yeah. how equality shows up in the world, how inequality shows up in the world and what you can do to unpick that. Just having had those conversations is in inherently protective so that if boys come across that sort of content which they probably will on tiktok on instagram on youtube you know those platforms do know a lot about your kids and they do know probably how old they are (laughs) and probably what sort of other content they're interested in and therefore some of this content that might lead you down the path into what might be called men's rights activism or whatever they might get shown that and the most protective thing you can have done as a parent is to have had those conversations with them. And then they're not vulnerable. And that's, uh, to me, that was like, this is an amazing, protective, keeping my kids safe thing that I can do for him, but also thing that I can do for the world. Because the more children that have had those conversations, when they come across that content and basically think that is absolute rubbish, I do not believe that there is, you know, that men are meant to be more powerful than women. I don't want to see any more of that content. It's gone. Yeah. God, that's so, wow. That's really, I mean, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? You, and coming from you as their parent or primary carer, that's, 
it holds so much weight um yeah. and and i think that's the thing a lot of this you know the things that we're talking about here sometimes people can say they seem so small and insignificant and does it matter if we say boys and girls in the playground and it's like in the short term like no probably not like in that exact moment the yeah. kid at the playground isn't really thinking i'm being segregated as a girl and blah blah but it's it's an investment for those types of moments that you're talking about it's it, it's a sort of like um it's a, it's almost like you're 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 putting some some sort of armor in there yes. or some sort of like ingredient in their toolkit that when they get into situations when they get into a job interview when they get faced with that sort of content when they're in a um a relationship when they're older that is turned sexual that they these are in their locker like they're, yeah. they're, that's why you do it that they have these little things built into them that in the moments where it really counts and it really matters that they um act upon them and I think that's sometimes and I'm sure you've had um comments and all sorts of stuff that sometimes I think people can lose sight of that because they just think this doesn't really matter it's insignificant it's yeah. like pc gone crazy yeah. um and you know there is a little bit of pc going crazy but <laughs> but it's it's in this conversation that is really i th- i think this stuff around play and around toys and around how we sort of talk to kids and use their gender it is about it's about putting stuff in their toolkit i, when I mean a hundred percent agree i think there's things like doll play there's no reason you wouldn't encourage your kid to have doll play because it builds empathetic skills it allows them to work out all sorts of things around their processing what has happened to them you know they can they can play things out through dolls that they um that they need to you know stuff that they need to experience can be done through doll play it's really beneficial there's no reason that we should stop any of our children from playing in that way and yet 50 percent probably of our uh, children are dissuaded from doing yeah. that likewise you know building play and engineering play and um thinking about rotational stuff you know that's 50 percent of our kids that we're saying you shouldn't get involved in that we're closing off these bits of them and that me- that d- has an impact on them but if you allow your kid to have doll play the skills that they're learning are take they're taking them with them they're taking them with them into the rest of their lives and i think that that is the thing that's really important for me. And, you know, we, I talk a lot about the clothes that we put our kids in, you know, if we, if their shoes aren't any good for running around in, they learn not to run around, you know, girls learn if their school, if their shoes are uncomfortable, they learn not to run around in them. Um, Likewise, if the motifs that are on children's clothes give a cue to them, to others around them. You know, if all the girls are wearing rabbits and all the boys are wearing T-Rexes, that gives a lot of cues about how mm. they should behave in the world. And mm. I know that stuff seems like, you know, quite a lot of the comments that I get sometimes on social media are like, who cares? Who cares? If your kid likes dinosaurs, let them like dinosaurs. And I mean, I loved dinosaurs when I was a kid, was really, really into it. But what I didn't like is terrifying T-Rexes with blood dripping from their teeth and claws. I like that isn't what I liked about dinosaurs. I like the fact that they were giant almost like it's like liking dragons. It's like a fantasy world like it. Yeah. 
the, the magical stuff. And I also like the scientific element of it. That these were things that people were digging out of the ground and really finding them. Like there were two things that like collided. Mm. But when you see dinosaurs on children's clothes, that's not what you're getting. You're not getting the, ama- like, the amazing diversity of the world around us. You're getting predatory animals. And it's yeah. only on the boys' clothes that you get predatory animals. And it's really only on the girls' clothes that you get prey animals. And that teaches them something. And I mm. don't, that's not what I want my kids to be taught. Mm. And so I want that stuff to be called out. And I want to, like you say, give them the protective armor to, you know, to wrap a little cloak around them that yeah. keeps them safe from that stuff in the mm. future. You know, I don't. And it, want... Yeah, God, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, symbols, signs, stories, that is how children learn about the world. So if they see themselves within a group that essentially is represented by butterflies, rabbits, unicorns which by the way all of which are awesome um or they see themselves aligned with a group that is dinosaurs sharks wolves it's not that either is right or wrong (laughs) and it's not that um you know you're on a personal vendetta against dinosaurs on t-shirts it's more what is the what is the symbolism that is being shared by kids within their worlds that represents their gender yeah Oh, that represents these divisions that we have made really important for them, yeah. that we have made really binary and said, it's very important that you're divided into two groups. And these two groups have two very different expressions of, yeah, what what they're given and what they're seen and how they're meant to behave. And yeah. that, yeah, I think that's what I think is damaging. And yeah, it does seem small, doesn't it? And like you say, who doesn't love butterflies? They are brilliant. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you love a butterfly? Also, same for flowers. Like, I have to, like, why aren't boys allowed to have flowers on their clothes? Flowers are really amazing. There's... Yeah, that, that's another good thing, that little thing that you can do, to, I think, that's quite nice is to buy men in your life flowers. Oh, yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, flowers um, are great. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. What is your, what are your, what's your plans for Sunshine? What can we look out for next so the the sunshine's coming out quarterly um and each issue takes a different theme so the next two themes are about role models and then one about work which i'm very interested in but i think basically in terms of how i i'm seeing sunshine sunshine changing in the future is that i just want to have more conversations about so just want to be a conversation starter I want people to think more about how they raise their sons and I want to sort of grow the opportunities that people have for talking about that and how it touches all the aspects of their lives. You know, that's what I really want. Brilliant. Well, keep up the good work. Um, All the information about Sunshine is in the show notes and where to find Kirsty online. Um, But thank you so much for your time today. This has been, um, yeah, really engaging and I've, I've really loved sort of pondering through all these knotty knotty issues with you it's been great thanks Kirstie. thank you thank you so much thanks Emma I really enjoyed myself